Welcome. Welcome to Lincoln Square Presbyterian Church's online worship for April 26th. We confess and we trust that God has called us and gathering us by his spirit, even as we worship uh, apart from one another, that his spirit is the one that connects us to him and to one another in Christ. And so we give thanks that we can gather in worship. As we begin, I just want to take a, a moment to share a couple announcements. Uh, one, just to remind you again that you can go to the church's website to see about online gatherings, about upcoming uh, worship, or just general updates. Or if you want to share prayer requests with the pastors, uh, you'll see all that on the landing page of our, of our website. Also, as a reminder that when we gather for worship, we don't just come on our own, but Christ has called us and Christ welcomes us in his grace. And so as a way to respond to that welcome, I encourage you to take a moment even now to, to pause the video, to greet those you're worshiping with, if you're worshiping with others, or to send a text or email or offer a quick prayer of peace for a brother or sister in Christ. And also, we respond to Christ's generosity, that we seek to be generous. So I invite you to give. You can give, go to the church's website and you can give online that way. Especially want to highlight uh, the Benevolence Fund. This is a fund the deacons use to support neighbors and church members. And so I invite you to consider giving to that. Or if you're experiencing need yourself and need support, please let the deacons or let the church know. We want to be there to be an encouragement and help to you. Well, we gather here in God's presence to come and worship. And as we get ready to do that, let's take a moment of quiet to prepare ourselves to come before God. Good morning. Our call to worship is from Psalm 143, and we invite you to sing along with us. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me. In your righteousness, enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. For the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in the darkness like those long dead. Therefore my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, trust in you, O Lord. Make me know the way 
Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit faints. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble.
going to take a moment to pray together, and I want to lead us this time by praying for you, but also have some time at the end for you to bring your own personal needs or confessions, uh, requests to God. And as we've done in the past, I encourage you to take a moment to, to pause the video and to check in with yourself how you're doing, or if you're worshiping with others, to take a moment to ask each other how, uh, how each other's doing, how you can pray for each other. Let's come before God in prayer. Lord, we thank you again that you are the God who has created us and redeemed us in Christ. And you're the God who, by your Spirit, calls us to come and worship. By your Spirit, gathering us into your presence. So, Lord, we, as we gather in your presence, we think of the words from Psalm 139. You, Lord, have searched us and you know us. You know when we sit and when we rise. You perceive our thoughts from afar. You discern our going out and our lying down. You are familiar with all our ways. Lord God, we hear these words and we trust and we know then that you are always with us. You are with us in the day and in the night. You are with us when we feel joy and when we feel sorrow. You are with us when we are healthy and when we are sick. You are with us when we are at peace and when we are worried. Today, as we gather, we come to you, the one who is with us, to come and share with you that we are overwhelmed by this pandemic and our circumstances. We feel sorrowful as we continue to see neighbors become sick or pass away. We feel exhausted and frustrated as we look ahead and see the days of social distancing stretched before us. It's hard to have plans canceled, hard to have our movements and community limited. It's hard to have the shadow of worry and lament upon us. And so, Lord, in all these experiences, in all these feelings, in all these circumstances, meet us by your Spirit. Come to us. Lord, we need you. And help us to remember that you love us, that you are the faithful God, who are with, and that you are with us. Lord Jesus, you are the one who draws near. You draw near to us, and especially as we see in your ministry, that you are the one who drew near to the sick with compassion. In Matthew's Gospel, we read how there was great crowds that came to you, bringing with them the sick, the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they brought them to you, and you healed them, so that the crowds wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the sick well, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified God. Lord Jesus Christ, come to our aid now. In the midst of so many neighbors sick, in the midst of our burdens, we pray that you would be present to bring your healing, comfort, and aid. 
We ask, Lord, that you'd heal those who are sick, that they may regain strength and health. We pray that you'd be with families of those who are sick or who have died as they worry and grieve. Defend them from illness and despair, that they may know your peace. Lord, we pray that you'd be with all those who are working now, the essential workers or those who are working in medical clinics or hospitals. Be with the doctors, nurses, researchers, all medical professionals as they seek to heal and help those who are affected and put themselves at risk. May they know your protection and peace. Lord, we pray that you'd comfort those who are afraid and worried, that you'd calm all who feel quick-tempered or impatient, that you give us hope as we feel despair and overwhelmed. Lord, I pray that you'd be with our leaders and decision-makers, give them foresight to act with charity and concern for the well-being of those they're overseeing. Lord, help them especially to protect and to see the vulnerable and those who are quickly forgotten. Lord, grant wisdom to those who are leading us. We come to you, Jesus, the one who is with us and the one who brings healing into our midst. We ask that you would grant us your peace and your hope this day. I invite you now to take a moment to bring your own needs and requests and confessions to God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning, Lincoln Square Presbyterian Church of Chicago. My name is Mark Garbelli, and this is my wife, Alicia. We were missionaries from Lincoln Square, and we were sent out in the summer of 2012 to come and serve near Amsterdam at Tyndale Theological Seminary. Um, we're glad we can join you this morning and share in your service. Um, we serve at Tyndale, and it's been a challenging time for us, just like it has been for you in Chicago and in the United States. On March 13th, the Prime Minister issued directives against the universities or affecting the universities and the colleges, and we had to shut down normal classroom teaching and go to online teaching. And uh, I had to reduce my staff to a skeletal staff of three people plus a cook. Uh, we had a unique challenge on our campus because our dormitory is uh, filled with students from Africa, from Asia, and uh, including students from South America and the United States, and so they could not simply get on a bus or a car or train and go home. But by God's grace, we've had six weeks of COVID-19 and that one reported case, and we're very thankful. And we're thankful for your prayers, and, and we've been praying uh, for you and the church in the United States. Part of the teaching goes to Alicia, who has been teaching uh, uh, admission students uh, to the school who are learning English, and then will be admitted formally into our MDiv program this summer. So I'm going to let Alicia share a little bit of her story and her experience in the last few weeks. Well, it's been a privilege to uh, teach at Tyndale for the second time, be, to be part of the preparatory academic English class. And uh, when I got back from our furlough, uh, I interviewed the students from last year and asked them 
what could be improved and one of their suggestions uh, was to make it even more challenging because they were overwhelmed uh, when they arrived at Tyndale but once they went into the regular program they were even more overwhelmed and so I added the book uh, The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom and what a blessing and so if you have extra time on your hands I would highly recommend that because the Ten uh, Boom's response to the invasion and the occupation here in the Netherlands uh, has given us an example to follow as we respond to COVID-19. Now, as Mark mentioned, uh, we have not had a case at the school and we praise God for that, but our, all four, many of our students have families in countries that are not equipped to handle this like we are here in the Netherlands and the United States. And so they are carrying the weight on their shoulder for their families who have children at home that do not have uh, online schooling like my children do and I think yours do. Um, they also go to stores and the, the shelves are empty. Now I understand there's a toilet paper shortage in the United States, but um, we don't have an issue with food and I don't think that's a, a, a huge issue in the United States also. And so as you pray for us, I ask that you pray for the students and their families in their respective countries, kind of being helpless to be able to help their families and yet knowing that they serve a God who knows the circumstance, who is still on the throne, and um, that no matter what happens, he reigns and he reigns in our lives. Now I'd like to introduce my son Henry and my daughter Michaela that will be reading the scripture for today. So please join me. Hi, my name is Henry and I'll be reading the New Testament lesson from Acts 2, 42 to 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles, teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing their proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received the food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Hi, I am um, Michaela. I'm going to read the Gospels lesson and is from John 10, 1 through 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door in the sheep, sheep herd of the sheep to him the gatekeeper opens the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads out when he when he brought out all his all his own he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice a stranger they will not follow but they will flee from him for 
for they do not know the voice of a stranger. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are the thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they will that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is the word of the Lord. I'm thankful for the chance to worship with you and a chance to look at God's word with you uh, on this day. And during this uncertain time when normal schedules are turned upside down, when days bleed into one another, the church calendar provides a helpful sense of time and direction. Uh, we are in the season of Easter Eastertide, the, this time between Easter and, and Pentecost, and it's a season for us to intentionally reflect on the hope of Easter. So our sermon series is focusing on the nature and the significance of the resurrection. This morning we're going to look at a passage from Ephesians 1, and in it we will hear the great might that God worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead is the power now at work in us who believe. God's immeasurable power displayed in Christ overcoming sin and death is the power now at work in all who have faith in Christ. This reminds us of the truth that when we are in Christ by faith, that what God did for Jesus on Easter, he does for us in the deepest points of our being. This is part of the wonder of God, the good news of Christ, and that's what we will reflect on today. So let's look at our passage, Ephesians 1, verse 15 through 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the work of his great might that he has worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. This is God's word given for our good. Let's pray. Lord, do thank you for your word, and we, we come as those desperate to hear from you. Lord, we, we stop and we also give thanks for Mark and Alicia and Henry and Michaela. We thank you for them and their faith and the work at Tyndale. We pray that you would protect them and also that you'd care for the, the seminary during this time. Lord, please, by your Spirit, speak to us 
that we may know the hope that we have in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, our passage that Paul writes is, uh, is full of all sorts of things, but one we can start, we can start at the beginning and see that he st- right away affirms his love and thanks for the Christians in Ephesus. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, all God's people. Therefore, Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you and remembering you in my prayers. Here are words of relationship of loyalty, of love. And we're reminded in just these brief opening that faith is not just an individual experience, an individual act. In Christ, we're united to God, but we are also united to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so this verse prompts me to give thanks for you. Thanks for church community, for my fellow followers of Christ. It's an invitation for us to stop and to think about the Christians in our life, our brothers and sisters in faith. A primary way that we express our love for God is in our love for one another. And the love that we receive from one another is one of the primary ways that we know God's love for us. And so Paul is resting and is remembering that that love that he shares with the Christians in Ephesus And after giving thanks, Paul says he remembers them in his prayer. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. And what I want to do the rest of our time as we go through our passage in the sermon is to to ask two questions. What does it mean for the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened? And second, when our eyes are refocused, our our hearts are refocused, what is it that we are to see? So first we'll think about this prayer. What is is Paul praying? What does it mean for our eyes to be enlightened? And then second, what is it that he hopes that we'll see? So first, the eyes of your heart. May the eyes of your hearts be enlightened. Now, we're generally familiar, I think, with the idea that to speak of the heart goes beyond just the organ in your chest that's pumping blood. We have a sense, even in our broader culture, that the heart points to uh, kind of who we are, that we're more than just flesh and bones. And here is this idea in our passage that there is this kind of inner self that we have that's hidden. The eyes of your heart, Paul is referencing the deepest part of ourselves. In biblical language, the heart is our center It's our innermost being. It's it's who we are in a fundamental sense. It's where our treasures are stored. This week I watched the NFL draft. Hungry for sports. It was the closest thing that's on on TV for sports. Pro teams select college players to come and join their team in the next season. And as many of you probably know, in in past years, The draft was in one location in a city, New York or Chicago, and everyone would gather at that location, all the coaches, all the players, all the fans, and people were brought up on stage to hear who was joining which team for the new season. Well, due to the pandemic restrictions, the coaches and staff selecting the players, and the players themselves were all at home. So the ABC cameras invited us into coaches' homes, into players' homes, 
it was especially interesting, at least to me, to see the players' homes. You can see the player often surrounded by family, sitting in a family room or living room, sitting on a couch. It was strange and sometimes a little uncomfortable, but interesting to see into somebody's home, to see into somebody's personal space. It's one of the ironies of our time during this time of separation and of social distancing that we have some windows, some new windows into one another's homes or offices. Well, I mentioned this draft and seeing into the homes and seeing into these meaningful times, some meaningful, there were tears and there were hugs. There were also some funny, awkward moments where one father fell off the couch and rolled on the floor in joy, celebrating his son's draft. I mentioned kind of this window in. There's a way to think about our passage. Paul is praying for our innermost being. He is praying not about our appearance or how others would see us, but in this moment he's praying and going into our center, like opening the window or opening the door and going in to the very sense of who we are, a place that many others don't often see, but he's asking us to consider our heart. He's praying for our innermost being, opening the window to see our deepest loves and affections. He's praying that the Spirit would focus our eyes, our innermost self. If the heart is the biblical way to speak of our true selves, then the eyes of the heart is the biblical way to speak of worship. We worship, we become like whatever we set the eyes of our heart upon, whatever it is that we see. We are all made to give our hearts in worship, to direct our eyes, to set our vision on something or someone with trust and devotion, to direct our eyes of the heart that we'd have understanding or a sense of direction. Therefore, having eyes but not seeing, eyes but not having focus, is shorthand for worshiping something other than the true God. See, Scripture talks about that, that if you have eyes but do not see, or ears but cannot hear, it's you are made still to worship, but you're worshiping what is not the true God. And so Paul's prayer is an invitation to, to look inside, to, to move through the doorway, to, to go into the window, into our very selves, beyond appearance, and to ask, where are my eyes looking? Where do I direct my hopes? How do I formulate my sense of who I am or what's going to be in the future? These questions of heart and eyes are especially meaningful as we walk through a time that's not normal. We will not dwell in this season forever. It's like a place that we are traveling through, a place in which we are walking through, but our activities, our rhythm, our work are interrupted, put on hold. And at this time, as we hear that the stay-at-home directive will be extending to the end of May, if you're like me, it's in some ways like we're faced the struggle of arriving at the point we hoped things would end, but finding we have another challenging stretch before us. One of you, in describing this situation, one of you told me it's like being a kid in the back seat of a very long road trip. When will we get there? As we think about this experience, one author says that we are like cell phones that keep looking 
for self-service. Keep looking for self-service. Keep roaming for normal time. Keep roaming for connection or communication for any sense of movement or freedom. We know that phones that continue to roam for service that isn't there drains the battery life much quicker than normal. And so many of us are tired physically, emotionally, spiritually. It's for this reason that many feel not only anxious, but maybe feel irritable or angry or frustrated. And in this season, this prayer asks us, where are our eyes looking? How is our heart seeking a sense of peace or comfort? As I've been reflecting, I think at first during this season, I focused mostly on keeping going, on continuing with my tasks or my work, but just in a new way. The current circumstances as obstacles to overcome as we continue to get done what we've always gotten done. But lately I've been wondering if this approach is like having eyes but not seeing. We might end up only seeing our self-sufficiency or only seeing our loss or our anger. And maybe this prayer that Paul is offering us to look at our hearts is a way of asking, what if God is interested in something more, more than just continuing to do things that we've done in the past? We know that humans look on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And what if God wants in this terrible and difficult time to give you and me new eyes, to allow us to see ourselves or to see him in a new way? Of course, we long for things to get back to normal, to get back to activities and to school and to work, to fun and to celebrations. Of course, we long for that. But what if our hope could also include the idea of God renewing me, renewing the way we see ourselves or the way we see life? In this difficult season, what is God showing you? In this difficult season, what is he allowing you to see about yourself? What if God is seeking to give me eyes that see life and what matters in a new way? to see myself or to see my neighbor or even to see God in a new and more clear way. This is part of what Paul's prayer is, that we'd have eyes in our hearts that are enlightened, that are focused anew, given a new vision. The second part of the prayer, the second part of the sermon is to ask then, what is it we are supposed to see if we have new eyes? or eyes that are enlightened, what is it that we can behold? As we look further into the passage, we see that Paul identifies three things that he hopes that we'll come to know, hopes that we will see. Three things. Hope, glory, and power. The hope to which God has called you, the rich glory we possess in our status as God's inheritance, and the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward us. We're going to briefly look at the first two, hope and glory, but spend a little more time on the power of the resurrection in us. May the eyes of your heart be opened that you may know the hope to which God has called you, 
Ephesus was a city of power, much like Chicago, a place of social and economic and religious influence. Therefore, it was a city that knew all about comparing, about ranking, about rejecting, climbing, judging, pushing aside. And it's in such a place that Paul wants us to see that our identity is not in our social or economic categories, but in the call of God. This call is centered in the person of Jesus, the preeminently chosen or elect one. He is the one rejected by the powers of the world. But now this Christ who was rejected has been raised above all. And so therefore in Christ, God is reminding us that even if the world does not choose us, even if we have been judged or rejected, that God in Christ has chosen you and me. In the midst of our struggle, God sees and knows us, and he is the one who calls us, and because of that call, we can have hope and freedom. Because that call is secure in the God who is faithful, There is nothing, nothing in life or death. There is no one or no power, no judgment, no word or action that can separate us from the call of God in Christ. May the eyes of your heart be open to know this call and may the eyes of your heart be open and enlightened, Paul says, that we can know the rich glory we possess in our status as God's inheritance. Now, this is a, a little bit of a, an odd verse or an odd language. Often, Scripture talks about the inheritance that we have in Christ, that we are God's children through grace, and therefore we await our salvation of our souls, the fulfillment of our hope. We have this glorious inheritance that we await. But here, the language says that God also has an inheritance. His promise and His faithful work leads to something glorious in Here we learn that God's inheritance is us, his people, what Paul here calls the saints. In Christ, God has made us his own. And therefore, in our struggle, in our current circumstances, as we know our sin and brokenness, we have to remember that God knows those things as well, but that God has interceded and now says that we are his special possessions, his treasured ones, his glorious inheritance, that when the world will give him glory and praise, Primarily what they'll look at is the people rescued in Christ by his grace. The glory of one day a people from every tribe and tongue standing before the throne of God only through his grace and faithfulness. May the eyes of your hearts be opened, enlightened to know your status as God's glorious inheritance. And third part that Paul hopes that we'll know hopes that we'll see, that we may know the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward us who believe, the mighty power of God that raised Jesus from the dead is now at work for you and me. If you look at the passage, you'll notice the, the complexity of this third part reveals that this is where Paul is spending a good amount of his thoughts and his prayer. He piles up words that you may know this immeasurable greatness of God's power according to the work of his great might that he worked in Christ, that this is what's working for you by his Spirit. 
there's an artist that I've mentioned before named Scott Erickson. He's a liturgical artist, and he has a number of drawings or works that help us think about our faith in Christ. And, and one came to mind as I was looking at this passage. He has a drawing of a goose. If you look at the drawing, it's, you can see the webbed feet, its long body, good for swimming, its feathery tail. But this goose is wearing a mask. This goose in the drawing is wearing a mask of an eagle's face, fierce and strong, tied around its goose head. And he's inviting us to think about power and about masks. In our current situation, at all times, but especially in our current time, it's easy to settle for appearance, an outward show, to put on a mask saying that I can handle these things or I have strength to move through them. One way to deal with life is to project, to wear a mask, to be the one who's strong, the one who is able to handle whatever comes. In Erickson's artwork, below the goose, there is the word be, followed by Jesus' words. Come to me, all who are weary and bearing burdens, and I will give you rest. In our weakness, God here is inviting us to see the power at work in Christ, to have our eyes enlightened, not to see our self-sufficiency, but to see what God has done and understand this power for us. He tells the story again of Christ, a retelling. You remember Jesus of Nazareth, born in poverty and helplessness, born in a backwood, no-name town. Jesus, who identified with us in the baptism of repentance, who ate with the rejected ones. Jesus, who confronted the powers on behalf of the poor and the crippled and the unclean. Jesus, who is betrayed, rejected, abandoned, beaten, cast aside and crushed. This Jesus, by the power of God, has left the tomb. This Jesus, by the power of God, has risen. And this Jesus, by God's power, has ascended to the right hand of the Father, above all other powers and dominions, and given the name above all names, not just for now, but for all ages to come. The impact of the resurrection is for the future, for sure. Our perishable bodies will become imperishable, but it also is for the present. For it tells us that what is true of Christ is true of all those who are in him, by faith. In God's power, we've been brought from death to life in Christ, and in Christ, we've been raised and seated with Him, a status with Him before God. This resurrection language is a way of speaking of our restoration through the gospel. Through the work of Jesus, we have been returned from exile and sin and death. We have been restored and reconciled out of our isolation, out of our loneliness out of our attempts at self-sufficiency. In Christ, we have a new position, not because of our power, but because of God's. And Paul prays that the eyes of our heart, when we look at who we are and what God has done, that we would see that this power of God, the greatest power the world has known to raise Jesus from the dead, is at work for you and for me. Resurrected humanity 
Is humanity restored to our purpose and its goal? Union with God, reconciliation with self, reconciliation with one another, created by God to do good works in Christ. Here's the good news. The world rejected Jesus, but God announced his judgment and vindication and gave Jesus the name above all names. And therefore you and I can see him and cast our hope on him, that in him we too, even if we've been rejected or condemned, are lifted up before God. We are in Christ, the one who not only loved us to the end, but the one who has overcome all things. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we pray that you would speak this good news to our hearts, that we would hear and know who you are. And in this time, even when it's challenging, that you'd allow us to see ourselves, not to feel discouraged, but that we'd see ourselves, that we may rest in you more fully. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Let us continue praying as Jesus Christ, our Lord, taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Receive now God's blessing. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole soul, spirit, and body be found blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Amen. Amen.